This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. Great to have you with us. This is the Afternoons with me, Helen Farmer Podcast. Your chance to hear expert advice and real life stories too. Finding your tribe as an expat is so, so important. And this is what inspired Founder Naveen of Coffee with an Expat. How to find your people in a brand new city or even after a long time. We were chatting to Arababa about the challenges and the opportunities about being in a mixed marriage, whether it's culture, religion or coming from a different part of the world. Dinesh updating us on the latest tech to come out of CES. It is where you'll showcase the weird and the wonderful. So what can we expect to see coming to our shelves? And if you've ever wanted to start your own fashion line, Designer Deborah Henning was on hand to tell us how what she wished she knew when she first started out. And Ludmilla Malava answering all of your legal questions and outlining the new domestic workers' law. What do you need to know? Is one of your intentions for 2023 to broaden your social circle? We live in such a transient city that even those of us who have been here an awfully long time can find ourselves feeling lonely, feeling disconnected. And so many of us coming from different countries, leaving friends and family behind that we need to find a new support system in so many ways. It's not always easy, especially if you're busy working parent, not maybe someone who's perhaps not particularly outgoing. One woman who started her own group back in 2019 brings people together doing just that, sharing their expat stories, which has now created an incredible tribe called Coffee with an Expat. We've got founder Naveen Elisuki joining us right now to tell us a little bit more. It's so lovely to meet you. Thank you for joining us. I want to know where this started for you. You've been in Dubai six years now. When did you start to identify that there might be people who were feeling disconnected in one of the most connected cities in the world. Thank you, Helen. It's a pleasure to meet you and Um, and very exciting to be on here today. Um, You know, to answer your question, I think it really started from when I first moved here six years ago. Um, And one year in, I I, I was like on many Facebook groups. And one of the most common um, questions that came up or situations that came up was, I'm feeling lonely I need to make friends. Let's meet for coffee. And I always feel like that is such a brave message to post. I always am like, good for you, because I think there's going to be a lot of anguish and loneliness leading up to that point where you feel brave enough to say, I'm going to put on social media that I'm, I need to make some friends. That's right. And it does take a lot of courage. Um, a lot of people have to step out of their own comfort zone to be able to do that. And I think posting is one thing, but actually taking the action to go out and make, meet people is a completely different ball game, mm-hmm. right? It's a different level of confidence, especially if you're not somebody that is used to doing that. Um, and that's really where the idea of building this community stemmed from, was just realising that there was a need of um, people to connect. There's a lot of loneliness, um, mental health and emotional health issues. Um, and, and, you know, I just wanted to fulfil that need because I've been there so many times over the years, being an expat myself for about 24 years. So, so where have you lived in the past? So Dubai is my eighth country. Um, I was born and raised in Australia, um, moved to Egypt, got married there, had my first child. Then we moved to France, had my second child. Um, then we moved to the UK, had my third child. <laughs> and my husband's oh, like, we're not oh, moving again. Oh, eight children <laughs> right. in your family. <laughs> exactly. <not. laughs> like, seriously, after the UK, my husband's like, right, we're not moving ever again. You know. Locking this down. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, and then it just got a bit crazy after that. We, we moved to Switzerland, stayed there for two years, moved to the States. 
stayed there for two years, moved to Saudi, stayed there for two years, oh, moved back to Geneva again, two years, and then you know been here for six, six and a half years now. It's the longest time we've stayed anywhere. Do, do you think it's, I would imagine the UK's, and I say this as a Brit, it's probably quite a hard place to go as an expat um, because you're established. You know, people have got their mates. They're probably, you know, living in a city where they, you know, they live and work. Maybe they were brought up there. Dubai, I've, I have found friendlier because everyone or most people have been new at some point. Does that make sense? But there's still an awful lot of barriers to actually making meaningful connections. Absolutely. I think um, living in, in the UK was a very difficult period for me. Um, and it, like you rightly said, you are coming in as an expat to a well-established local community. Mm-hmm. They don't need you. They don't need a new friend. They don't understand my lifestyle. Um, whereas here in Dubai, yes, you're right. Again, um, everybody's an expat, almost everybody's an expat here, um, or they're very well-traveled um, and we can connect on that level. But making those genuine deep connections is very difficult here as well because it is so transient. Tell us then, um, Naveen, a little bit about Coffee with an Expert. What's the, what's the concept in terms of, because it's not just your ordinary meetup, is it? No, it's, it's, it's a much deeper than that. Um, and really, it's a platform for women to connect and make friends in a safe environment. Um, and we do that in many different ways uh, through different meetups, workshops, events, um, casual get-togethers. Uh, we have membership now where we have subgroups of interest where women can connect. Um, and so it really, it really stems from that. It's like, how do you make a friend? And we always get the advice. It's like, go to the gym, do something that you're interested in. You know, and sometimes you just don't want to do that on your own. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes to that level of, of confidence or being able to step out of your comfort zone. So I wanted to create a space where women can feel safe and that they are understood and not judged, um, knowing that they're coming to a, a, to, a, to a group where people understand them. We, we share that common understanding, you know, unspoken language I say that we have as expats. You know, we mm-hmm. can say one thing, we totally get it without having to explain ourselves too much. Um, so within our, our network, we have, for example, we have the gourmet group for the foodies. We have the business and development group for those that are looking to getting back into the workforce. There's a lot of personal development there. Um, we have the parents and kids group. Um, we do hobbies and fun activities. And our, our new, newest group is the POD Mums group, which is the People of Determination Mums group. A group that I think needs yeah. so much support and community. It's That's the, a brilliant addition to what you're doing. It really, really is. Absolutely. I mean, like, we had an event this morning with, uh, with the POD Mums group on advocacy. Um, and we, as as mums, you know, we always say we, we you know, we are strong. We 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 cope with so much being a parent. But honestly, when you sit in and you listen to the stories of uh, purely mums, it's a different level mm-hmm. of strength that these women have. And honestly, they have my highest respect. And I, I'm just so happy that we're able to support them in some way. So, how has it helped you then, on a personal level? Because you're you're you look quite. Emotional now. I mean, yeah. it's, obviously, it's obviously very meaning, meaningful to you to be able to see people connect, you know, that really need that connection. Yeah, I think it's because I've been there so many times. I've been alone a lot, um, you know, struggled on my own and had no one to talk to in you know, many situations. Um, and I'm very passionate about my life. I love my life. I love what it's given me, the challenges and the, and the benefits. And I think when I see people struggling this way, the same way I have, I am a very empathetic person, as you can tell, mm. <laughs> and it just gives me joy seeing them smile or connect with another person, finding that friendship, that moment, which I call a magical moment, is that, that, that moment of connection and they exchange numbers and boom, you have a friendship. Mm. And that's what it's all about, really, is just providing that space where it's positive, it's engaging. We talk about very meaningful 
uh, topics as well. Um, you know, so if this Thursday, for example, we have a concept called At the Coffee Table. Where we talk about different topics. It's, we're talking about embracing ageing oh, on Thursday. Can so I come? You can come. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very, a very uh, interesting discussion, actually. Um, and again, it's, again it's, it's, it's those moments that create the opportunity for people to connect over something they, are, they find interesting. And in terms of some of the challenges that you've heard from some members, I mean, you've been really generous with your honesty there, talking about how you struggled in the past. What do you think are some of the common challenges for expats when it comes to meeting people? Oh, um, I think it's really finding the, the if we're talking specifically about the UAE, um, is really having that genuine connection, I think is what people struggle with mostly here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for people to meet, become acquaintances, a lot of meeting for benefit, if, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, yeah. kind of like, what can I get out of this, this right. in- encounter or this relationship? Right. 100%. Exactly. And I think the challenge as well is that because people know it's tr- quite transient or they're only here for two years, <laughs> why invest in that friendship? Why invest? Yeah, I know. I've had this in the past. I was like, well, well, we know we're leaving in May. I'm like, and it was nice to meet you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Even exactly. if it's someone that I really But liked. you know what? It's sad as it well in sad, some way because like, you know, Build that friendship. You never know when you're going to cross paths again. Mm-hmm. You may live in the same city again one day, or you may even travel and see them in their own country. Um, worst thing, I'm like, you know, you will have a, uh, an online friend. I'm yeah. like, it's, it's just so enriching to be able to have that kind of network and say, I have friends in, in, in different countries. Um, a message here from uh, Dee saying, how does the membership work? Good question. Tell us a little bit about the practicalities then of being, being part of the Coffee with an Expat group. Okay, so it's quite simple, actually. Um, if you go to my Instagram, it's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, Coffee with an Expat, you'll find a link and there's a link for the membership there. Um, you sign up and you become a member you have access to an online platform which is our like personal facebook in some way and you can connect with other members on there join the groups that you're interested in and come to the meetups and how often are the meetups what are you what are you scheming for 2023 so many things (laughs) so many things so we usually have about one to two meetups a week oh gosh wow yes um, how big? Yeah. How big is? How big is the group now? So we have members and non-members, um, and many of our events are open also to non-members, and we have exclusive events for the members. Um, so we average, depending on the kind of meetup. So at a coffee morning, we'll probably have like twenty to thirty women. Um, this Thursday, for example, is like ten to fifteen, and it's good. I'm like I prefer to keep it quite close knit because it gives everybody an opportunity to talk, mm-hmm. to connect. I think if it gets too big, it kind of like you lose that. You, you do. Yeah. Um, any advice for anyone, whether it's coming to one of your events or just looking to make meaningful connections, especially if someone perhaps is suffering with a bit of social anxiety, isn't feeling comfortable about going. And I, oh my goodness, I think everyone, who, I'd be suspicious of someone who's like, oh, look, a room full of strangers. I can't wait to get in there. No. I think it's human nature to think I'm not feeling too comfortable about this. But how can we put ourselves at ease and help to, I guess, identify people that could become a friend? You know, I think it's being comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, which I know is not very easy to do. Um, but it gets also, easier, though, the more you do it. Yeah, it does get easier with more experience. But I think also knowing that you are not alone in feeling that way. Like everybody in that room has felt like you felt at some point. Mm-hmm. They understand how you're feeling. So that's... You know, for somebody that's going to the event, for the people that are at the event, uh, I think it's important they are empathetic and that they do keep an eye open for somebody that is feeling awkward and make the effort to stand up and and welcome them and say hello um, and invite them into the conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that it works both ways. Um, You know, you've been there. If you see somebody somebody struggling is to kind of like 
tell them, you know, it's okay. Um, we've had a number of messages going. Um, what's the website? So I'll let you, I'll let you take that last question. So the website is coffeewithanexpert.com. Um, recently launched, so we've still got a bit of work going on there, but you can You're definitely go on, on there. As well. <laughs> We're on social, um, Coffee with an Expat on Instagram and on LinkedIn. On Facebook, we have a group called Coffee with Expat Women, um, and that's a global group. It's not uh, a UAE-based group. And the reason for that is because we are very transient, we are global, and we've had women that do meet each other yeah, help cross each country. Other, yeah, exactly, yeah. help each other beyond, beyond the UAE. Exactly. And what are your personal hopes then for, for this, not just moving forward? Because I can see from the look in your eye you've got, it's got some big plans. What, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you scheming, Naveen? Uh, I'm really hoping to go global with it. This is, this is the plan is to, you know... Um, Make the world a less lonely place for expert women. Well, thank you so much for the work you've done here in the UAE so far. I know it's incredibly meaningful to you, but of course, that huge community that you've built here. If you do want the details of Coffee with an Expert, drop me a little message on 4001 and I will gladly send you the link. Naveen, thank you so much and uh, wishing you and everyone there, all expats, uh, the very best for 2023. So with around 200 nationalities here in the UAE, naturally the number of people marrying someone from a different culture, religion, is going to be pretty high. But are they harder to navigate? Is it more challenging when bringing up kids? What are some of the opportunities, the advantages? Joining us now is Mustafa Hassan, otherwise known as Arab Baba. That's me. He's a family man. He's an educator. And he himself is married to a woman from a different part of the world. We're taking your questions today and I'd love to hear from you. Where are you from? Where's your partner from? How's it going if you are in a mixed marriage? Also, if you've got any questions, get in touch. Mustafa, where are you from? I'm originally from Egypt. Okay, and your wife? Uh, she's from American. Okay, I want to hear, I love a love story for one oh. thing. Some hope, and you're still together, so, so far so good. Where did you meet and how did it all happen? Actually, we met in Qatar. We married in Qatar. We have the both kids, the two girls in Qatar. And then we move here to UAE. With big challenge from beginning to be as like, okay, how can I, how we can, and how we can do that, mm -hmm. especially with kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, she moved from her work and I have to be like, stay at home dad. Mm -hmm. That's where all Arab Baba come from. <laughs> you are the Arab Baba. Tell us mm -hmm. then about meeting because dating, um, your different religions as well. What was that yeah. like? Uh, actually, I don't look at the religion from any side. It's, if you feel love with somebody, it's nothing to do with the religion is. But uh, my kids is all like they are Muslim, both of them, mm -hmm. and he like celebrate Christmas and he does like all like Ramadan fasting. My oldest, she fasting the thirty days. How old is she? Uh, she is fourteen. She did it since uh, ten years old, and she did pretty good. Good like and also she does all like Eid at her uh, Christmas. Like celebrate all, celebrates everything. Yeah, the all best, the celebration. The best of both. Um, tell us then a little bit, because as as you say, and this is the hope I think for a lot of couples when they meet is yes, we're from different backgrounds, love conquers all. But sometimes families have other other ideas about what they want for their oh. child, and I don't know if that was the case for you, but I know that's been a challenge for friends of mine who have been in mixed marriages. What was it like meeting her family for the first time, and vice versa? And then I guess your families. Coming together? Oh, <laughs> I was a terrorist. <laughs> oh, no. I come from Arabic country. Yeah, I was a terrorist. Like, really, her dad, uh, bless his soul, he just uh, passed last year. I'm sorry. Uh, and, like, he, the first thing, like, he thought I am a terrorist. Like, how, how we can marry an Arab? They're killing people. 
That was his perception from, yeah, from exactly, the US. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But her mom with other side of it, like, no, she is like, is a lovely guy. And I want to meet him. Uh, that's from her side. My family, as an Arabic, my dad was okay with it. My mom didn't accept it from beginning. Uh, because my mom old, she is like as traditional as old an school. Arab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, old school, <laughs> like this. Uh, she is like, oh, like, no, you need to marry an Arabic. I need like to talk to her and understand what she's saying. It's not. Uh, so it was a language thing as, as well. She, and she language, wanted to be able to communicate with your wife in yeah. Arabic. Interesting. And, and the communication later would be easy. Like, you know, you like use Google, like she write whatever in Arabic and translation. And they had lovely conversation together in the garden mm-hmm. every time because my mom, she was there with me for a couple of times. She visit for like, really, she enjoyed uh, my wife and she having fun with her. Tell us then about raising kids here, um, because as you say, you're celebrating Muslim holidays, Christian holidays. Yeah. They are, you're raising them as Muslim as, as well. Yeah. Um, what's their sense of identity like? If you say, you know, where are you from or, you know, what nationality are you? What do they say? Oh my gosh, for my kids, the old, both of them actually, because like, I don't know, it's our Arabic genetics is like really strong. You got some brown eyed babies. Yeah, brownie. They look mm-hmm. like a chocolate. Mm-hmm. And even like when she asked him at school, he said like, Safi, where are you from where? She said, I'm from uh, America. No, you don't look American. You look Arabic. He said, yeah, I'm from Egypt. Do my dad in Egyptian too. Ah, okay, that's why. And they love the coloring. We don't have an issue. With, they love the coloring. It's really like brownie coloring mm-hmm. and they enjoy it. But some of my, do- the oldest doesn't like curly hair. My youngest love like 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 straight hair or soft hair. Mm-hmm. But it was challenging with school, like with nationality, you from where and you are from where. But I, I don't think it's, it's a big thing here to... I, do, I was about to say, I think here in certainly UAE, but kind of Middle East in general, I think a lot of kids are confused. I mean, my kids, we're both both British. My kids yeah. are totally confused about, about where they're from. My mum worked as a teacher's assistant in Muscat for a while yeah. and they had a little girl join the class. And she called, my mum called me after coming home from school that day. And she's like, it was so interesting, Helen. These kids were like four or five, like little, little. And they all sat in a circle. And this little girl sat down and they said, you know, welcome to our class. We're, you know, what is your name and, and, and where are you from? And she sat down, she said her name. She's like, oh, I, I don't know where I'm from. And one of the kids piped up and said, where you go on holiday? That's where you're from. And that yeah. game just so acute to me because we've just been to the UK. And I'm like, oh, is, that, is that kind of what I'm telling my kids that... We're from here. We're, you know, we're, this is our identity. But they weren't born there. They don't know that. Yeah. But, but I guess the opportunities then, the advantages of coming from two, two different backgrounds, you know, think everything from, you know, food to travel, language, you know, it's, it's really enriching. It's good experience for them. Mm. It's, I'll ask you, like, for example, a question. Like if you ask your kids, when you come back UK, do you know it's only cousin? And cousin from where? From UK. Mm-hmm. But look at here, we are in UAE, they have different nationality. They have like Indian friend, American, British, uh, Name it, everywhere, just keep, everywhere. Go, yeah, keep going yeah. through that whole list of countries. And to keep like, especially we in here, we have like more than 200 nationality, like we have the separation, the national and day, the international and day. All the kids come to school with wearing like, the, I love the addressing day. like what they wear or which country, like Moroccan, like, you know, like uh, Nigerian. We're like really lovely uniform, and it the kids keep looking at like and the food, the food. The oh, food. and the food. <laughs> We're hearing from you this afternoon. Um, are you in a mixed marriage? How did you meet your partner? Uh, Mia saying, my father is Greek British. My mum is from Nepal. 
Um, and still at 23 years old, I feel split between fully understanding both cultures. I don't feel like I fully belong to one, especially when I compare myself to my friends whose parents come from the same culture. Samantha says, my husband is French, German, American, and I'm East Asian. I was raised half in China, half in America. Occasionally there are some marital disagreements that wouldn't happen, I assume, if we had similar backgrounds such as how to properly discipline our children or taking care of elderly parents. Uh, no name on this one saying, uh, we've had some big issues in our family because of family and friends on my husband's side staying in our home longer than I would like, but he cannot say no. Interesting. We're talking mixed marriages today. There are around 200 nationalities here in the UAE. So me coming from the UK, chances not I am married to an Englishman, <laughs> by, by the way. I found the most English Englishman in the whole of Dubai, despite being surrounded by 200 different nationalities. Um, the chances of you dating, marrying someone from another part of the world, much, much higher than perhaps um, from your home country. So let me know your experiences. Message here saying, I'm an Englishman, married six years to my fantastic Filipino sweetheart, Plagia. No children. We've got seven family members living with in Jamira. No issues, no arguments, full respect both ways and blissful. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, our very own Mark Lloyd has been married for 31 years. He's from the UK and his wife's in the Philippines. So we found out what being in a mixed marriage has been like for him. Well, I've certainly learned a lot about another culture, that's for sure. That is a definite plus. I adore my family, my children, and my granddaughter is absolutely beautiful. However, you do come up against um, a few obstacles as uh, the years go by. We have been married, by the way, for 31 years, so I guess it's worked out. (laughs) But um, I was an only child, and it was very difficult for me to kind of um, insert myself into a huge family of people in the in the UK you marry a person and you go off and you buy your own house and you rent a place and you live together and that's it and maybe your uh, your siblings will come and visit you and then they'll go home but it wasn't like that um we had a lot of people staying over not just for the night but for months on end sometimes so that I had to get used to it doesn't happen as much now now they understand my culture a little bit better but um um you do marry a family there's no two ways about that but uh, luckily it's a good family You wouldn't have it any other way. What about you? Are you in a mixed relationship, mixed marriage? Let us know. Where are you from? Where's your partner from? How is it going? The challenges and, yes, the advantages too. Joining us in the studio now is Mustafa Hassan, otherwise known as Arab Baba. That's me. He's an educator, family man. He's Egyptian. His wife's American. Um, They're both different religions and they've got two kids. And I I wondered um, about language. Mustafa, you mentioned there your mum was worried about not being able to communicate with your wife. What's that? What's that been like? I mean, the kids presumably bilingual, which is amazing. But what about communication between you two? How's that been? Uh, for me, from beginning, it was really hard <laughs> because I'm come from background Egyptian. We use the only Arabic language there, and uh, but then we start communication when I feel like really I don't understand anything. I need to ask her, and sometime I said okay. Okay, I should just say answer. Okay, but I don't understand. And she's telling me, you need to tell me, explain to me. <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like you're agreeing with me. Yeah, you agree with me, but it's not that what I'm saying. <laughs> you need to be make sure <laughs> it's understand what I'm saying. And lastly, I wanted to ask you to offer some advice, really, uh, to anyone who might be dating from someone outside of their culture, their religion, you know, a country that perhaps they've never even visited. Um, what advice would you say for, I guess, a, a smooth path ahead? Probably um, the communication between the couple 
and my advice to them not involve any problem with your parents mm-hmm. don't share any problem any problem you need to fix it at the house inside the house not share because actually it's some of them as an arab side you start hating other side doesn't like it because like you don't hear the both side mm-hmm. you need to actually to be like communicate together fix anything because we always fight don't tell me is a marriage honeymoon oh, 31 year they always argue everywhere everyone. so but, so really kind of putting putting your partner first and resolving things between uh, between you two a yeah. message here saying, just want to say hi to Arab Baba from Yasmin and Sally. Oh, Yasmin <laughs> and Sally giving some love there. For anyone that doesn't want to follow you, this is everything from advice, from homework to cultural issues and, and advantages as well. What's the best way of getting in touch? and stuff? Uh, What's uh, your Instagram? Instagram, Arab Baba, that's me. Arab Baba, that's him. If you want that, to get in touch. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. All the very best to you and your beautiful family for the year ahead. Mustafa Hassan with us this afternoon. Loving your messages on mixed marriages. Uh, Wang Chukotil saying, I'm half Nepalese, Tibetan, born and brought up in India, married to a Belgian who I met in Oman. Now we have two kids, both born and being brought up in the UAE. Yes, it's a bit of a soup and I'm always confused about dressing the kids up for International Day. It sounds absolutely brilliant though. Wow. Thank you for all those matches. We've got Danyash uh, Kalyanawale is with us. He's executive uh, editor at Tea Break Media. And we're talking tech. Have you got a Monday moan for me, Danesh? Yeah, I have to go back home and wash vessels. Oh. I hate it. Wash vessels? Yes. What does that mean? What do you mean wash? Wash, wash. vessels, dishes. Dish, dishes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Gotta go and do this. I love the, love the fact that the tech man hasn't got a dishwasher. Yeah. I don't have the space for it. Uh, we had that for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> um, we're talking tech today. Some crazy mm-hmm. products that are coming to market. Now, CES just happened, few, I think it's June, you just finished. Just in, got done, yeah. Yeah, in Las Vegas. What is this? Who's it for? What's it all about? Okay, so CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It is the biggest show uh, as far as consumer electronics are concerned globally. And it literally happens at this time because it dictates everything that's going to happen this year. So you might see tech that's going to come out, like is already out, has been released, or concepts for the future. Everything that happens at CES changes the way we interact with technology over the next few years, always. So this isn't like... Expo, for example, where we're talking about things that are going to be happening way in the future. A lot of these products will be in market or will Correct. be coming to market. Correct. I would say that um, they, it's, there's, there is concept stuff, but that's very limited just to show technology. Um, whereas certain times, like, for example, uh, BMW showed off two technologies. One of them, they've already said that it's going to come out in 2025. So this particular one was a car. Where there are two cool things. Now, one is where there's no digital cluster anymore, nothing. What? It's all on the windshield itself. So as you look at the road, you're getting all Correct. the data. all your information. So you're not looking up and down. So it's augmented reality at its best. That's what they're showing. So and the, they're saying 2025 for this. They're saying 2025. It'll be at five levels. Level one being just basic stuff like your speedometer and stuff. Level five being when you're on autonomous driving it just kind of shows you something else to calm you down or whatever (laughs) i'm not um and there's also um the e-ink yes what is going on e-ink is basically the display technology that your kindle has okay that's e-ink yeah now what they've done is they've taken this and put it on the outside of the car whereby (laughs) you can change the color of your car (gasps) 
as you drive along no, or based on what you're wearing that day. But oh, this, but that they've it. said is the concept part because obviously if you look into damages and stuff like that, but it is a really cool concept. Like imagine having a car that could be any color you wanted on any day. That would be awesome. So BMW bringing it at CES. <laughs> what else caught your attention? So the other one that I had was... Um, Withings. Now, Withings is a healthcare brand. They've been around for a long time now. I've used a lot of their products. One of them is the U-Scan. Now, the U-Scan is basically a sensor that you put in the washroom okay. when you go number one. Okay. Right. You're going to pee on it, basically. Yes, you're going to pee on it, basically. Okay. And uh, it gives you a bunch of information. So, for example, your ketones. It can also tell you um, uh, if... it. it the idea basically is to give you all the information necessary to know how your daily health is. So it's, it's, a, it's a daily urine test. It, so, that's exactly what it so is. So you're looking at, presumably, if you're hydrated. Correct. I mean, there's probably interesting implications for women as well. Yes. So they're, they're actually, one of the reasons they want it is for that to, uh, to predict menstrual cycles and stuff like that. But also, uh, it can be helpful with diabetes. It can be yeah. helpful with the hydration levels. Vitamin levels. Or, in general, this is one of those things where, I don't know about you, but I was brought up with, uh, if you look back in after you're done, you get to know everything you need to know about the previous day. And it's just become technology and I now. I find it interesting. Would... Sorry, I really don't want to be distasteful. But what happens if someone else uses the bathroom? So that's the whole point, right? So you, it has to be clipped on when you're using it. Okay. That's, that, that's, that's the whole point of multiple users. Plus, it would recognize based on levels, understanding who's using it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. One, speaking of femtech, though, one thing that really caught my attention mm-hmm. from CES was something called the EV ring. Right. Um, which is a bit like the, is it the Aura ring? Aura ring, correct. But, but aimed... More yes, mostly at, at women. Yes, so I, I personally love the O-ring. I think it is a fantastic. Are you wearing piece. one? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Um, I'm not tracking anything in 2023. You should be. You Why? Should be. Because I'll I don't want what. to be a slave to the numbers. No, no, but that's the thing. You don't have to be a slave. Like I, I can't wear, help it. I get obsessive. I wear an Apple Watch all day, every day. But when I have bad weeks, I get to look back at it and be like, "Oh, okay, okay, okay. Let me see my sleep here." So, for example. <sighs> Lately, weird thing happening, I'm waking up like five times a night. Okay. Not able to figure it out yet, but at least I can see a pattern that, oh, this started on the second. Okay, what change did I make on the second? I noticed that I had flipped my mattress and oh, maybe there was a lump and so on and so forth. So it's just that you have access to that data. Oh. And especially as women, that data comes in very useful. So my wife loves her Apple Watch and loves tracking everything now because she's beginning after months of using it she's able to see patterns Mm -hmm. and that's where this kind of tech comes in super useful I don't like being told to stand up I don't like it and you can switch that off I I just feel like I'm being cyber bullied I'd rather I'm sticking with my swatch okay for the foreseeable but I do like the idea of that ring yeah that feels more to me 100%. and i think that's because there isn't a display i'd rather be able to have a you. look at that at a time that suits me rather than have the numbers stare at me every time i check I what agree time it is. so in between when i did have the apple watch and the order ring i literally would be like okay i'm done with the watch for the day i don't need this display anymore ring is on and it would just be so that i have my data whatever it might be my sleep my temperature and so on now let's talk kitty winks okay because i tell you what do you know who's a good consumer An absolutely exhausted parent. I have been there three o'clock in the morning feeding a kid, Google searching any gadget that will fix this child. Okay. We are vulnerable. We are tired and we will buy something to fix it. 
What was at CES for the parents? So this year, so CES has always had fun stuff for parents. So like one of my favorites ever was a cradle, which uh, had a little, funny enough, it was made by Ford. And it, was, it had a little vibration mm-hmm. and it had a rim with lights on it, which would uh, act as lights when a, what a child feels when they're passing on the road with street lights. Hey, all kids like a little car yeah. nap. So mm-hmm. that was there. But this year we saw smart strollers and smart strollers <laughs> are like your Teslas, but for strollers, costing a mere three. $3,300. Oh, la, la. Okay, what, what can they do? <laughs> but they could do things like, um, for example, you, you're with your child, you're on the stroller, but your child wants to be held. Yeah. And then you have to otherwise hold the child yeah. and push the stroller. Not anymore. The stroller just follows you along wherever you go. Or it has something called rock my baby mode, which is obviously to rock the baby as necessary. Uh, it also has warnings for maybe things you can't see beyond um, uh, the stroller, things yeah, like how that. How are they going to alert you? It's a nice beep that's going to wake up I'm the baby. Go, I'm going to guess so, or maybe or some haptic or something. Maybe something haptic. I would say haptic would make more sense. I'm sure it would have some sort of silence. Mode. I just have visions of a runaway stroller that something goes awry. It's it's not on the slow speed where you're just gently walking behind. It's like whoosh through the park and <laughs> baby doubt, at top speed. I highly doubt it can go that fast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they thought this through. Um, but we okay, can think about this, right? Another thing it helps you is going up a hill, right? Oh, good point. So, you know, you, you just come from the grocery and you're going up the hill and like it just makes life easier. I mean, we don't face the hilly side of things on this side of the world. True. But like imagine you're in San Fran. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, if you, you know what, if you're, in, if, 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 you're, if you're in San Fran yeah. and you've got $3,300 to spare, knock yourself out and let me know how it goes on 4001. One thing that has, I think, I don't want to call it a trend, but I think because it's, I think it's a, a worthwhile movement and attention yeah. mm-hmm. is to do with accessibility Correct. and inclusivity. And there's Correct. been a couple of breakthroughs in this. Tell us what we need to know. Okay, so there were two main things that I genuinely liked looking at because I thought that First of all, it's one of those things that why hasn't this happened earlier? Let's but, solve some problems. But it it is there now, so that's great. So one was uh, L'Oreal. L'Oreal worked on something called the Hapta. The Hapta, uh, and let me get this right. So the Hapta is an assistive lipstick applicator, which would help people with limited hand and arm mobility. So the idea is to reduce vibrations in that scenario mm-hmm. and therefore get a more uh, easier <laughs> approach. Me, tell us about makeup application, Danesh. What listen, you- I've done it a few times and I... I Listen, my, I, I, I bend down to all of you for doing it on a regular basis. It's mascara that's the real problem, my friend. Let me tell you. Actually, to be fair, I don't wear lipstick. I, I, I'm, I'm not the target audience for this in, in any way. But isn't that interesting? Because mm-hmm. there's a huge number of TikTokers and Instagrammers who are of course. you know, impaired in some way. Could be mobility. We've seen lots of um, advocates when it comes to you know, raising awareness yep. around you know, being blind, deaf, um, and the kind of day-to-day life. So interesting that L'Oreal's putting some money Definitely. there because, because we're worth it. <laughs> and, um, and Sony as well. Yeah, so Sony did it for the PlayStation as well, which is where what they've done is they've got a controller, and again here as well for limited mobility. So they've got, they've, they call it Project Leonardo. And basically, if you look at it, it's a little circular controller with a knob and various buttons, and all of them have tactile feedback so they understand which button is where. But again, the same simple concept that why should why should people be restricted just because of uh, any handicaps that they might have? Absolutely. So I, I love I love that companies are going this way. I just hope prices are sensible. Also which accessible. L'Oreal has said that they will see to it that they are. The release is by the end of the year. But um, but yeah, let's see. Message saying, what if the stroller starts following the wrong parent? <laughs> 
Go on. It would be linked to the phone, so no, they wouldn't do okay. that. Okay. Now, if you want to have a bit of a Google, it's called the Ella Smart Stroller. Listen, it's three thousand dollars. It's going to come to Dubai. Hundred percent. That is going to be 100%. in malls. It's going to be the mummy accessory. Hundred percent. It's not if, enough to tempt me to have another baby. If the people that are representing the Ella Smart Stroller are listening to this, please do contact me. <laughs> I would love to review this. I will sit in it. I agree to sit in it one hundred percent. I'm going to DM them right now. Uh, Tanesh, if anyone wants to follow you, check you guys out. Tea break. What's the best way of getting in touch? So for myself, it's Dan Talks, D-A-N-T-A-L-K-S, and we're on Tea Break Tech. Thank you so much. Out of those, what would you invest in? What would you be buying apart from the stroller? What would I be buying? Oh, the the car, the car windscreen. That's that's something I really, I want to see AR come to life. I want to feel like I'm in Minority Report. 100%. That's the goal for 2023. Thank you so, so much. Absolute pleasure wishing you and the whole team over there at Tea Break a very happy and healthy 2023. Thank you very much. And we'll have some tech talk very soon indeed. We're talking the business of fashion this afternoon. We've got Deborah Henning joining us in the studio. She's worked for the likes of Alexander McQueen, Sasson Bide. She was a ghost and then started her own label, uh, was named One to Watch by Vogue. She's started that brand and grown it beautifully, nominated and won uh, numerous awards, including the Dubai Fashion Council. The label has, is now available at Harvey Nichols, Robinson's, St. Regis in the Maldives. I hope she's been over there to curate that shop. Deborah Helling in the studio today to talk about her journey and also to answer any questions that you or perhaps any young people in your life who are looking to work in fashion um, might have. It's so lovely to have you with us today. I want to start at the beginning, Deborah, if you don't mind. Why did you want to work in fashion in, in the beginning, can you take us back? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're it's lovely to be here. Um, why did I want to work in fashion? Well, uh, I started when it actually started when I was at school. Uh, my art teacher said to me, uh, "We were doing a, a fashion project for my almost, you know, when you do your GCSE, the one before, like yeah. the practice run." And uh, I got a good grade in it. And I, then it was like, okay, what we're going to do for the final graduation one of the GCSE. And he was like, well, why would you change the subject? Like stay in fashion because you, you did really well. Like continue. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that's, that sounds like a reasonable way to get an A star at my GCSE. <laughs> that's a so easy then, street. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. So then obviously I spent the next year, you know, d- getting into it more, like designing and, and trying things out and playing with fabrics. And, you know, I was a 16-year-old and I thought, this is fun. I love this, actually. Could I make money from this? Yeah, could this, you know, and I'm very much like, you know, do the things that make you happy, you know, do a job that you love. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I was, I was obviously creative and I wanted to um, merge that thing with something that I could spend my life doing. So I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> what about the reality of that? Were there any surprises about the industry once you started going further down that path? Oh, you can imagine. I met some very... Uh, colourful uh, characters? Colourful is exactly <laughs> the word I would say. You know, some people are downright mean. Some people are really nice. Some people are crazy. Um, and it's a mix of that all along the way. I think I learned very quickly that it's a really tough industry to to um, succeed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have that kind of pressure of people being exceptionally... Um, difficult as well sometimes so yeah you have to kind of be really level-headed and and keep your focus on what it is that you want but what all that did was made me know that I just wanted to work for myself I was like I love the ind- I love like designing and developing I love the process of it do I want to work for somebody else uh no I'll, I'll do my own thing thanks and then I can have the business the way I want it you know what did um success look like to you back then it's so interesting actually because I was always really focused on getting into Harvey Nichols or Bloomingdale's or, you know, you know, one of these like massive stores. And it was always my, the pinnacle of my success. It was always going to be, you know, when I get into Harvey Nichols, this is going to be it. 
And um, the day that it happened, I came up the stairs and I, you know, like came up the escalator and I slowly, slowly started to see the tipping point of the, the top of the hanger of my clothes and I saw it hanging there and I felt nothing. I was like, oh my God. Now what? Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I spent literally 15 years to get to this point and like, now what? And that set me on a path of real self-discovery about what it is that I want and what brings me joy and what makes me happy because I realized that it wasn't, you know, getting into a store. That was the journey of getting there was was really fun. And, and obviously it was an amazing thing to have to happen. Um, but since then, that really took me on a, on a, on a bigger journey of, self, of like really what makes me happy. So what about now? And I don't want to use that success word again, but I guess yeah. what's, what's it all for? Yeah, I think now it's it's a culmination of all the things that, um, the word success brings for me so it's like having balance with your family having balance with work being able to take time off and enjoy that time being able to sleep well being able to spend time with friends and family being able to do projects that I choose that I want to do being able to make money doing that being able to work with people that I want to work with so all those like things that make up you know if you make up a good if you make up a good day that makes up a good week which makes up a good year and so I really my focus is to spend time on projects that I really love doing with people that I love doing it with and creating stuff that I that I enjoy and I like the the product so it's more about the daily process those small little wins every day little wins every day you know so what would you tell the younger Deborah Henning then about about the fashion <laughs> industry and what might lie ahead for her? um yeah then it, it will all come in the end you know I think it's a long battle a long fight that I've been kind of like going through this this journey but um, that I find success in all the little things mm-hmm. and it's not to hold it to one thing like getting into Harvey Nichols or you know like I've had some great successes in like getting an exclusive collab with St. Regis and the Maldives like you can't make the stuff up like Jet Smarter sent me a private jet to send me to London like Fashion Week like <laughs> dreams you know like I'm not getting don't get me wrong these things are amazing <laughs> but it is you know I'm as happy um, working on projects with the team that I love that I really enjoy having that like energy that back and forth really mm-hmm. brings it alive so so, yeah, find find joy in the process rather than just, I think a lot of designers, especially ones nowadays, want that end product success and that's not really the case. Joining us live to talk the business of fashion today, we have got Deborah Henning. She has worked for iconic brands and has her very own label now. She's gone from strength to strength and now works as a fashion consultant as well, mentoring, training entrepreneurs in the business of fashion and working with brands and corporates. And we've got a couple of questions for you, Deborah. Before I go to the text line, though, I wanted to ask, and you just reflecting there, I guess, on your own feelings about success and life and values and I wondered when you look at the fashion industry in the years that you've been in it which is coming up two decades now sorry <laughs> I am that old yeah. <laughs> how what 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 significant changes have you noticed that perhaps us as consumers might not be aware of mm, I think it's just the pace you know like what you can see on the runway then the brands kind of rip it off and it's already in store 24 and like, hours later yeah 24 hours later so I think that kind of genuine design process has been shortened mm-hmm. loads um I think it's put pressure on some of the bigger fashion houses but then it's also created this kind of like you know, like duplicate fashion houses on the high street. So definitely the pace of things. Um, Unfortunately, the way that fabric, uh, sorry, clothes are made, I think that that's created a bigger dent in the world and I don't think it's doing a great... Uh, job at keeping the world in, in a good place. Um, yeah, the impact of fast fashion on yeah, the climate not is not good. Yeah, and so that has increased a lot, and I think that that's probably something that needs to be. It's the same. I think sustainability should be built into every fashion brand. I think it's our duty and our job to do that. How do you do it with Deborah Hunning the label? 
We try to do things as close as possible to home so we, that we can get rid of shipping and we can get rid of those types of things. We don't dye anything overseas. A lot of this um, brands use fabrics that are dyed. You, know, you can go to these towns in India and the, the, all the colour of the water like on the street is red and blue. And you know, It's just like the, it's in the water because they're dying from these huge factories. So as much as we possibly can, we try to use organic, local, close to home so that, you know, that we're not adding to the... You know, uh, Mm-hmm. flying things around the world that yeah. type of thing um one thing that's obviously become huge in the last couple of decades is the internet social media and i wondered your thoughts on how that can be beneficial for entrepreneurs and startups yeah absolutely like the new generation they can they have so much more tech savvy than we than we were you know when we built a business our inspirations were our family friends or our parents you know the inspiration of the the new generation is like Global. Elon Musk and like yeah YouTubers that are making for, I read something the other day 400 million this girl sold her um, brand for she worked for I think two years and sold it for 400 million dollars oh, oh, and it's like okay you know the, the speed at which things can happen now if you've got a good eye for it and you understand technology is insane so yeah to utilize those platforms that they're already adept at I think it's the best way forward they can reach millions of people in such a short period of time let's see if we can help out Bilal he's been in touch saying my daughter's a talented artist loves fashion and styling she's 16 and would love to work in the fashion industry but I'm concerned and that's with three exclamation marks <laughs> low salary for years very competitive etc does Deborah think university is helpful if so what internships would welcome any advice so we can best support her yeah, I mean, obviously, my the degrees that you do are really good. I mean, you get a really good overview of the fashion business. Yeah, the salaries are low when you start, but it doesn't mean that they have to continue like that. You know, you can really get into good brands that are doing good things uh, straight out of uni. You don't need to, like, work for 10 years before you make any money. Um internships yes again like they do you know a lot of them don't pay but again it's a really good way in the first girl that ever worked for me Carmen she uh, worked for me as an intern for like I can't remember like six months and she ended up being my my uh, designer like my head designer um, she only just worked, for the next five years she worked with me for head designer so you know it, it does open a door for you unfortunately it is a bit like that in fashion you kind of have to work a little bit for free but mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say it was it would deter you from doing it at all I yeah. think the, I mean any kind of work experience and internship in any yeah. industry you get that real insight yeah, into you do. You yeah. know, whether it is you know working in well publishing radio yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the stories I, we could tell yeah. uh, you know or you know absolutely anything and yeah. I think at 16 you've got the energy to be doing that it's yeah, being it's a chef right. like this is when you can you, know, you yeah. can graft and you've got that passion to keep absolutely. you going keep yeah going. it's really fun you can really get behind the scenes and like get a real feel for the businesses all I would say is to choose a brand that you feel like you have synergy with and you can move forward with so you know like in the beginning I was working with other brands that didn't really you know like sportswear brands and I didn't end up working in sportswear so it didn't really help me on that journey mm-hmm. if I'd have looked back I'd have been a bit more particular about the brands you know like a few more Alexander McQueen styles and nice. bad would have been fine um, um, how do you so, describe your aesthetic minimalist black white grey all day <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing pink trousers right I am now. I am actually because my husband rebel. complains that I don't wear enough colour so <laughs> this is me like being a better wife <laughs> Bless you, on the radio. Yeah, where you can't see me. I can't see your trousers. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you lastly, what are your hopes, your predictions, I guess, for the fashion industry moving forward? Not necessarily this year, but I mean, in maybe another 20 years in the future, are we going to be wearing, you know, digital designs on our on our social media oh, with fashion probably. NFTs? Yeah, we yeah. are, aren't we? It's oh. going to be like a chip in your hand that, you, that like, you know, changes colour or something. I'd be I happy with that, with that wardrobe <laughs> from Clueless. I'm still hanging out yeah. for that. Where's that in my life? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd like things to be more sustainable. Obviously, I'd like it not to be not to be as detrimental to the earth. Um, digital wise, yeah, I think I'm a bit old to know what's going on there. Maybe some of the some of the new gen can can tell us what's going to be the new fashion. Deborah, for anyone that wants to find you, find your designs, what's the best way of yeah, exactly getting your hands on some pieces, but also finding you on social? Yeah, so my website is deborahenning.com. Uh, my social is deborahenningofficial for my Instagram account, and they can also find me on Thinkific, where they can find my fashion business course as well. Thank you so so much for You're coming welcome. in. It's Thank really so interesting much. to get the take on what you've been through over. Yeah. The last few years and uh, and your clothes are gorgeous oh, which helps <laughs> um, if you want Deborah's details drop me a little message on 4001 wishing you a wonderful year ahead you 2023 too. bring it on <laughs> Joining us to look behind the headlines, latest guidelines, and of course, go to the text line is Ludmilla Yamalova. Joining us from HPL Yamalova and Pluka um, on hand for your free legal clinic. So this is your chance, and I have to say, a brilliant one to get any insights that you might need into a recent law change, something that might be affecting you or something that you've just been a little bit curious about when it comes to your situation. And we've had lots of messages, some with names on, some without. From last week, um, is it legal to track someone's phone without their knowledge? Um, Marn's asking about, do freelancers have any right to unemployment insurance if I get sick and can't work? No name saying, I accept a new job before Christmas due to start February 1st. However, I didn't sign anything and I've had massive second thoughts. Are there any legal implications for just informing them that I don't want to take it forward? All of this and more coming your way. And if you do want to have your question answered, get in touch now. Lidmelia Malava, how are you? Hi, uh, I've been better. Oh no, and what's up? For the first time in a long time, I actually got sick. So oh, um, no. hence I couldn't come to the studio today. I figured I'll keep my germs to myself. Oh, Lidmilla, I um, was, yeah, thanks. there's a lot going around. I had, I was a snot machine for two weeks. It was in- incredible um, what I was producing. Uh, yeah, um, all the liquids. I, I, I'm saying this to you, knowing that you're never going to do this. Try to take it easy, <laughs> okay? You know, I have to tell you, I had no other choice but to do oh. to do so. For the last three days, I was pinned pinned to the bed. I oh, horizontal three days straight. Oh dear. Well, thank you for sitting up in the chair for us today because as I said we've got an awful lot of messages we are going to be going to the text line shortly but I want to talk about a recent law that came out uh, just last week talking about domestic workers can you break that down for us especially for those of us who might employ home help yes I think it's quite an important law Uh, so what this is is a cabinet resolution which is an add-on to the uh, domestic workers law which was issued last year, and that was law number nine of 2022, and that particular, we'll call it the substantive law, that law made references to subsequent uh, cabinet resolutions and other executive regulations that will further uh, clarify certain aspects of the substantive law. So last week, uh, one of these cabinet resolutions was finally issued, and I think it's quite important because, among other things, what it does, it sets up clear penalties for employers and recruitment agencies for violating the domestic employment laws and contracts. And I thought then of itself was uh, quite um, valuable to highlight to the audience because there are very specific examples of what, uh, not only what now constitutes a breach of the law, but what the penalties will be and who is going to be imposing them. Because we have talked a lot about on the show and otherwise with a lot of our clients, those who 
in particular domestic employees who have reached out to us about um, various complaints against their employers and what to do. So basically the only option at the time was to go to court. Right. And then the court, uh, while we're trying to make it easy for them to, to know what to do and how to file a court case, it's still a court case. Mm -hmm. Now, under this particular cabinet resolution, there's a different authority, which is the Mohre, that now has the authority to impose penalties on the employer without having to go to court, which I think is very effective. I think so too, because so, I think I, I know I know this is very much your bread and butter about you know going to court and filing cases. But I think I think no matter how easy that process is or you know or appears to be, it's a very intimidating thing for an awful lot of people to go through. So the fact that there's more conversations about rights for domestic workers is brilliant, and the fact we're having conversations now about penalties. So what are some of the penalties that we need to be aware of or more more accurately what are some of the laws that we should not be breaking indeed so let's start with the law that should not be breaking first of all this particular decree or cabinet resolution focuses a lot on recruitment agencies and what recruitment agencies cannot do and what their obligations are and among other things they are not allowed to violate any laws or contractual obligations for example, then there's another significant sort of set of provisions that once again clarifies the domestic employee's ability to transfer employment. So it's a right that is it's almost inherently reserved with them, and there are different conditions upon which or circumstances upon which they can uh, transfer or terminate the employment even while the, the contract is still ongoing. Uh, so, um, for example, one of some specific examples are domestic workers can leave their job by notifying MOCRE within two weeks in the event, for example, there's a salary reduction. Mm -hmm. So think about it. So if their salary is not uh, receiving full salary, they now can leave that itself as grounds for them to leave their employment. Uh, as well, the other grounds is that the employer uh, fails to fulfill one of their obligations, which there's a whole series of obligations, both under the contract and under the, the law. For example, treatment of, of of domestic employees, or providing them with humane conditions, mm -hmm. or, or working hours, their, their, either working hours, right, so on and so forth, so so on and so forth. Also, um, there is a specific provision that states that domestic workers can leave without notice in the event of assault, humiliation, or any other form of uh, um, sexual assault or contempt. Uh, and but this this must be reported to the authorities and uh, to Mokre within three days. But this this kind these uh, this kind of conduct allows them to leave their employment without any notice. Uh, so um, now, interesting enough, and this is something that I'm sure we'll have to mull over over and over again because this is uh, we've mentioned it before with regards to the substantive law. And there's another provision in this cabinet resolution regarding the same, and that is that domestic workers may not work for any other. Uh, party uh, other than their employers or the beneficiary named in the employment contract, which basically means, and I'm sure we've, as you and I, mothers, I'm sure we have a lot of friends from mothers and have mm -hmm. heard these arrangements where uh, somebody sponsors the domestic employer and employee and then allows them to work for other mm -hmm. uh, for other companies or for other employers and other families. Well, technically speaking, under this law, that is not allowed. So if you have uh, sponsored your employee and then you have they have to work for you normally and vice versa if uh, you cannot hire an employee a domestic employee that's sponsored by someone else so we'll see how okay. that's going to be well, it sounds like a lot more clarity and in some cases a lot more protection for domestic workers what about the penalties facing those that violate them yes so so if an employer for example files a fraudulent abscommon reports there's a 5,000 dirham penalty uh, if they submit incorrect documentation, anything between 1,000 to 10,000, and remember, this is on employers, 
failing to comply if the employer, for example, fails to comply with health and safety regulations from 1,000 to 10,000 dirhams. Uh, and then also employing uh, em employees, the domestic employees, without work permit or allowing to work for others uh, is 5,000 dirham penalty. Non-payment of wages is from 500 dirhams to 5,000 dirham penalty. If uh, domestic employees are assaulted or abused, 20,000 dirham penalty. Uh, improper accommodation, food or clothing from 1,000 to 10,000 dirhams. Failure to cover medical expenses or treatment is from 500 dirhams to 5,000 dirhams. Withholding uh, documentations of a domestic employee mm -hmm. is 500 dirhams. And one more, failure to register with a WPS, so that's the wage protection system, is 100 dirhams. Uh, so these are some of the main penalties, and I think they're quite instructive in terms of um, how employees' rights will not be protected. Because remember, these are imposed on, by Mohre, and by the way, whenever an employer is subject to any one of these penalties, Mohre has the ability now to suspend the employer's file, meaning that they will not allow them to hire another domestic employee, oh, at least presumably until they've corrected their uh, their fire. Good to know. Ludmilla, thank you so much for that. This is the new domestic workers law that came into effect as of last week. It's your free legal clinic. Ludmilla Malava with us through until five o'clock, taking my questions on the latest guides and, uh, and news, but most importantly, taking your questions. If there's anything that's on your mind about any aspects of the law, could be something you need some general advice on or something specific to your situation, this is your chance to reach out now. Ludmilla, a really interesting one. There's no name on this message saying, hi, both. Had a job interview in November, didn't get the job, which was fine. Um, but part of the interview, I had to give my ideas for a campaign and they set out what they expected from the presentation. Spent ages doing an excellent presentation, really well thought out with the name, slogan, everything. It was a Zoom interview and they asked me to send it beforehand to present on the day. I should have known, really. So last night I saw my exact idea right down to the campaign name and themes on their social media page. I do have a friend who works in STEM who says these things do happen all the time, but I didn't think it was very common. Am I being unreasonable to be raging and email them to ask exactly what they're playing at? Or is this my own silly fault for sending a presentation without too much thought? Intellectual property, I guess we're talking, Ludmilla. What do, does this listener, indeed anyone out who's found themselves in similar uh, interview processes need to know? It's a bit disappointing, but uh, perhaps expected. And in some ways, as the listener rightfully said, it's uh, their own fault. And it's not so much about sending the presentation ahead of time, but perhaps not protecting the presentation. So in intellectual property law, it is important if, if you have something of value that you've created, that is your intellectual property and that you that's proprietary and valuable to you, uh, the burden is on you to make sure that you communicate that message to the world and you protect it. So how do you do that in a case in a, in a context like this? Well, he should have done it. I'm not sure if that has been done. Uh, is uh, to clearly state this is my property, this is uh, proprietary intellectual property that belongs to me and only cannot be used in any other context. And in the event it is, I, see, I, I have to, I reserve the right to see comp compensation and so on and so forth. Except ultimately, in very sort of high level and simple terms, how intellectual property protection works. So it's really the burden is on you to uh, to make those statements, mm -hmm. unless, for example, the intellectual property you're sharing has already been registered, officially registered, for example, the patent, uh, patent uh, office or uh, registered trademark 
but this would not be the case in, in this particular example. So therefore, the burden would have been on the listener to make sure that, that to communicate that message. That's wild. Uh, so, so there's, there's so... that. However, mm -hmm. however, it's not to say that he cannot try because if there is evidence that he's used a particular idea, that communicated this idea to uh, in, in this the exact format uh, to the company and the company has perhaps copied almost to the T the idea itself, there is the potential like claim for compensation but the key will be how do you quantify or monetize I'd, I'd the, bill the them. I They would be getting an invoice for me. I'd work out what my time is worth, how much I'd spent on it, and they would be getting another famous Helen Farmer email. Yeah, but that's contractual. <laughs> I know, so but, don't, but, but they, but they need to be called out on that. Because what is this person I supposed agree. to do? You know, you're not going to be not putting your best foot forward for a job that you want. So uh, I agree. But this, and this is why we're having this conversation. So next time, next time, the advice that we're trying to convey is, is just don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and send these terms ahead of time. Mm -hmm. For example, what you just mentioned, uh, as part of the, the presentation, he could have said, and maybe others who are listening should do this in the future, he said, listen, in the event uh, you, I don't get hired and this idea gets uh, uh, borrowed from me, so here's my hourly rate and this is what basically this particular work product would cost. So in that case, it becomes a contractual agreement. But without any of these terms spelled out ahead of time, it'll be very difficult to argue the report. That's just a practical advice. Yeah, Matthew's saying, I'm horrified that companies can do something as awful as stealing cans. It's hard work without acknowledgement. Ludmilla Malava is with us this afternoon. She's on hand to help with any legal issues that you might be facing, that you might be contemplating, that you're trying to understand as well. I'm going to start with a, hopefully a pretty straightforward one. A message here saying, is it legally possible for unmarried couples to obtain a mortgage here in the UAE? Is it Ludmilla? Yes, legally it is possible, but it, it is up to the bank. The bank may want to... to add that as a requirement, but it's not a legal requirement. It would rather be more mandated by a specific bank. But certainly it's possible, and there are, there are many, many mortgages that have been issued exactly on the same basis. Staying with property, uh, no name, saying, my rent increased from 90000 to 155000 And according wow. to the rent calculator in Dubai, the area and home I'm in should be between seventy-eight and ninety. What does the law say about that? Any recourse well, exactly here? That's a what the rent, heck of a well, exactly job. Exactly what the rent calculator says. Mm -hmm. uh, so certainly that particular, the rent increase for that particular property is not warranted uh, because there is a there is a limit in terms of how much uh, the rent can be uh, can be increased by the same landlord with the same tenant. So the rent calculator here would be the definitive answer. Uh, and the limit. Um, so certainly stand up for yourself or just send them a copy of the rent calculator. I'm sure they already have it. Mm -hmm. And just tell them you're only going to pay whatever is allowed by law. Okay, hope that helps. Um, last week, we were discussing the unemployment insurance that's come into effect. And Marn has been in touch saying, do freelancers have any right to unemployment insurance, e.g. if I get sick and can't work? Has this come up in the last week for you? Uh, uh, yes, but no, they're not entitled because they would be considered as owners of businesses or as their own as investors. Uh, so they're not they're not employed by someone else. They're ultimately self-employed, uh, and all those who are self-employed are exempt from unemployment insurance. One and then two. Remember, the unemployment insurance really kicks in upon termination or or end of employment, mm -hmm. and not so much when somebody falls sick. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a different trigger, and the, for the time being, the, there would be a different type of insurance, and that's loss of business insurance. And that insurance, by the way, has always existed as as I mean, at, at sort of a general level. 
And we've even heard of uh, these kinds of policies uh, talked about in the UAE. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of international insurance companies that could you could potentially just opt for a loss of business insurance that's apart from that employment insurance. And uh, something that I've been asked a lot over the last couple of weeks is um, why do you need to wait a year? Why do you need to pay in for a year before you can actually get any return, I guess, on that insurance payout? Have you had any insights on that? I would only have to speculate, and my speculation is that it has to be funded, right? The insurance mm-hmm. pool has to be funded uh, because it just the law just came into effect, and so and ultimately what we're talking about is that the government will be paying uh, for you basically to do not work or while you're looking for a job, and for them to do so, they need to create a fund. Uh, so hence, the, while we have this one year period, it's just for the to give the the government the time and the resources to populate this fund so that it can adequately then compensate the, the one, those who are in need. Okay, that was that was my answer as well. So it's good that we're, we're on the same page, Ludmilla. Okay, let's go to the text line. No name saying, is it legal to track someone's phone without their knowledge? It's my 18-year-old daughter. The technology's there, but uh, what does the law say? So in that particular context, I would say yes. Uh, because she's still your daughter and you're still the guardian for her in the way, though, um, interestingly, I was just looking at, new for, at a new law. Again, it's a topic for another day, and that's a law on foster care, and that's a different foster care that's now being introduced, and there's a definition of a child, and a child is someone that has not reached the age of 18. So I guess under this law, mm. your 18-year-old daughter would not be a child, and yet, uh, since she still lives with you, I would say that you have... Uh, a legal, at least, expectation, right? A justification uh, to track her phone, and um, so yeah. So, so I mean, the context also matters, right? If we're talking about just stranger, no, that's not that's that's illegal. Uh, but if it's somebody within your family circle, circle plus, for example, I bet this particular phone is on your plan, is on the mother's plan, right? Not not on the daughter's plan. Uh, so therefore, it's old, in legal terms, it's your own phone. It's your phone. It's your own line that you just given to lend. You lend to your daughter. Uh, so I'd say in this in this context, it's uh, it's justifiable, but certainly depends on the circumstances. Okay. Um, Follow up message regarding unemployment insurance. Wasim asking, will it cover cases of resignation? Uh, great follow up. No, it doesn't. Uh, so the resignations are clearly excluded. Um, as, by the way, and I'm not sure, I think this part might have been already talked about, as as all the um, free zone companies as well are, for now, not covered by employment insurance. And just regarding the That's freelancer query we had earlier from Man, a message here saying, correction, a lot of these insurances are not for freelancers. I tried a dozen companies last year and all of them refused because freelancers are not covered. You must have a company trade license. A freelancer license is not recognised by insurance companies. Interesting distinction there. Um, if we have you mean more, insurance, is it health insurance or is it I think the it's the co- I think it was the cover, the loss of business. Uh, the business, the loss of mm. business. Yeah, it, dep- it depends on, on the insurance policy. And as I said, it's not as common in the UAE, but there yeah. are some international providers um, that would normally cover this but you that's you know it's a growing practice here so you'd have to look a question that might be more of a moral dilemma than a legal query Ludmilla no name saying hello both I accepted a new job before Christmas and I'm due to start first of March however I didn't sign anything due to sign this week I've had massive second thoughts would there be any legal implication for just informing them I don't want to take it forward uh, not pra- not in practical terms. Uh, so, I, I mean, the, depending on how far 
the parties uh, communicated and if there were any agreements that they signed, for example, um, then there could be what's called an enforceable agreement. But the, and, and then in this case, uh, if the employee decides to retract the, the acceptance, then OK, so there's a breach of contract. But what's the damage? Mm-hmm. So the company would have to file a case against the employee to seek damages. But there, what, what damage has happened? They will never be able to. Uh, to to document uh, or any sort of tangible uh, evidence of damage. So therefore, in practical terms, it's a non-starter. So I would not worry. But certainly you should document uh, your change of hearts and just don't be afraid. It's better to have something on record than nothing. Absolutely. All the very best with however you decide to proceed. Anonymous message here saying, I'm in the process of getting a divorce. Unfortunately, before I could file a case for damages... Um, my husband has filed a case against me with false accusations. So he gets out of paying maintenance and uh, and any damages. I have to get a lawyer to represent me to ensure I win the case. However, I've been told I need an Emirati lawyer only to represent me. Is that true? In short, yes. Uh, but also the party can represent uh, themselves uh, in court, especially in divorces. So you're not required to have a lawyer to represent you. Uh, but ultimately, if your husband has uh, has an, an advocate, a local advocate, um, then you can, you could be a disadvantage for representing yourself, but you're not required to have a lawyer. But if you do want to be represented by a lawyer, then yes, it has to be an, a, a local advocate who is an Emirati citizen. In most cases, there are a few exceptions, but for the most part, yes. Okay, really hope that. And helps. by the way, there's no, there's no, mm. there's no. It doesn't really matter who who filed first, because whatever the husband filed, you can make the same allegations that you wanted to make originally. So. So it doesn't, the, the, the filing first, it does not give the one or the other side any advantage or disadvantage. Okay, hope that helps and all the very best. Moving forward, anonymous message here. Oh, my phone. Oh, no, my things. My computer's just crashed. Okay, I'm going to go to computer number two because I have three in front of me. Here we go. Anonymous message. During COVID, a substantial additional portfolio was handed to my team. I'm now told this portfolio will be reallocated to another person. Are there guidelines in the labour law on recognition of additional work work delivered above one's remit? So I don't really understand this question, Lavilla, but maybe you do. No, I understand. I think that the the listener is asking whether they're entitled to additional compensation for having performed perhaps duties that were above their original uh, scope. Uh, in short, no, um, because if, if there was expectation of additional compensation, that expectation should have put, been put in writing early on. Uh, and if the, if the listener just continued on working and taking on that additional scope of work without requesting any additional compensation, then in legal terms, it's viewed as having the contract having been implicitly amended by both sides without any additional consideration. Um, so at this point in time, it's too late to ask for any additional compensation. Okay. I want to come back, if you don't mind, to the unemployment um, insurance question because we've got one, uh, uh, lots of queries, lots of people get, you know, getting their heads around and what are the implications for us in our own individual situations. So anonymous message here saying, as the employment insurance will give out a payout for the terminated employee, will the employer stop paying the additional one or two month salary, which is normally paid as a termination benefit? That's really interesting. And you're trying to calculate um, as you exit a company. What do we need to know? A good question. No, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, So the uh, so the notice, their employer's requirement to either let the employee serve the notice or pay out the notice is is, uh, independent of the employee's entitlement to receiving unemployment insurance. So just because even if you have a three months notice, 
period or notice compensation that does not exclude you from obtaining coverage under the unemployment insurance. Got an anonymous message here saying, uh, wishing you both a great week ahead. You guys put so many people at, at ease with this chat every week. That's what it's all about. Thank you for that. That honestly means a lot. That's very kind. Um, and last message, this is from Chris saying, I recently purchased a rented property. Can I ask for one rent check for the next rental period? Also, as a new landlord, can I increase the rental price? What does Chris need to know? And indeed, Chris's tenant. Right. So Chris would have to uh, wait uh, until the the lease, the ongoing lease ends. And so would not be able to change, at least unilaterally change the terms of that particular lease, including the payment terms, unless the tenant agrees. <clears throat> but after the end of that lease term, then certainly as a new party, uh, he will be able to amend the, uh, the, the lease agreement and the terms. OK, thank you for that. Chris, all the very best with a new property and your new tenant. Ludmilla, feel better soon. That's my parting words to you. Nasal sprays, having having a good little lie down if you can. But I really appreciate your time this week and every week, Thank honestly. Um, Ludmilla Malava is there at HPL Malava and Pluka. Um, you can find her online. Fantastic resource for, as we do exactly here in this last hour, going through the headlines, interpreting what you need to know and answering questions as well. But she will be back live with us next Monday afternoon. <laughs> And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.